<clears throat> I am Joe. Wait, are you recording? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, don't go. It took us a while to warm up, but it gets better. This conversation of No Such Thing is about virtual reality, and my guests are outstanding for this episode. I have Joe Saavedra with us. Joe is a longtime designer developer who uh, now is working for an amazing company called Planeta that does... Uh, software development, hardware development, um, and a lot of R&D for some companies you would know well. Um, more than once in the conversation, Joe told me uh, that uh, there were there were projects he would love to tell me about that, that, that he couldn't. Um, but I wanted the perspective of somebody who's deep into VR so that we could talk tech a little bit. And um, I think it's safe to call the goal of this episode the sort of keeping it real of, uh, of, of VR episodes. Let's uh, get real about what adoption looks like and how realistic um, it is to think that we are at a point in time when VR is ready for adoption by um, maybe the best litmus test of how ready a technology is for true accessibility um, by uh, the widest population, certainly in our country. And and that's a little sad because our schools should be, in my opinion, uh, the first place, the sort of leading edge where we test and, and have access to technologies. But unfortunately, they tend to be the hardest for integration for a whole host of reasons. And there are a lot of smart people working on that problem. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, the, the amount of resources we need to put to that is enormous. So uh, this episode represents the gap between what we're excited about and what's real on the ground. Um, there are some great examples of places where uh, some real implementations are happening for VR and AR in schools. So don't get the idea that no one is doing it or nobody should be doing it. We should. Um, but in this episode, we dig deep. We talk about what's working and uh, we talk a little bit about uh, what's still a little further out of reach. Also with us in this conversation is Shalene Brown, a learning design coordinator at Mouse and somebody who works um, as about as closely as Mouse does with uh, educators and students. And um, he's somebody who has real experience putting uh, what we consider to be the sort of innovations of our time in front of or within uh, the context uh, where young people and young learners are. So Shalene's here uh, and and has some great input, uh, I think, to this conversation. And uh, along the way, um, stick around because we also do a little bit of a uh, a segment within this episode where we go shopping for a VR setup, um, and you can hear what it costs to put together. Um, one setup complete with everything you need to have a student designing and developing in VR. And uh, you may be surprised at the cost. Um, you may be not. So uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Again, this is a technical episode. So uh, for those without uh, a tolerance for the jargon of technology, maybe move on. But uh, I hope you stick around because we cover a lot of really important ground. Are we ready now? 
Uh, my name is Joe. I'm a hardware and software developer. I am also a teacher. And I uh, work at a product R&D studio in the East Village. And we build all sorts of a really, really large breadth of, uh, of domains. Uh, we work within from uh, mobile app development, web app development, um, virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, and, and, and really both hardware and software, but largely tools and experiences for artists and designers Yeah, um, is, is how I would... So, and Shalene, tell us a little bit about your role at Mouse. Yeah, so mostly my role revolves around uh, interacting with the educators that use our services and our curriculum and making sure that they have all their questions answered. But I also am in charge of the Microproject monthly competition and writing the curriculum uh, around those uh, competition prompts. What is the Microproject, quickly? So it's essentially a, a contest uh, once a month that encourages our students to try a new online tool or a web-based tool that they haven't used before. Um, essentially just getting out of their comfort zones and then getting used to trying new things and doing their best work in a very short amount of time. Um, it's usually a creative challenge. Exactly, yeah. So it's usually, uh, for example, the one from last month was based around making a haunted house uh, in a VR, a 3D environment. Um, and yeah, usually there's a lot of creativity involved in in these challenges and just trying to think in uh, very inspiring ways about technology. Yeah. So that's actually a perfect uh, segue because I think it's clear from um, your description why Shalene is here from uh, Mouse's team. Shalene is somebody who works directly with um, educators and with the, the product that um, you know, Mouse develops to reach out to educators and schools and learners ultimately um, that that uh, is looking to impact the way that young people uh, have some exposure to things like uh, innovations in AR and VR. And, and you're somebody who is very close to the real issues of um, is this a reality for uh, K-12 education anytime soon? Um, you've tried some things. And mm -hmm. so um, we have paired that for this conversation mm -hmm. with Joseph Adra, who uh, has a long and amazing history. I think it's amazing, Joe. Uh, with, it's certainly um, long. <laughs> <laughs> um, with learning organizations in New York, as somebody who has been uh, a designer developer in lots of different environments, Joe has also had a, a toe in, in the K-12 education world as just somebody who I think uh, has wanted to do as much kind of gigging in that space as possible to uh, give back as an educator yourself, uh, somebody who's interested in um, seeing young people get the exposure. I think uh, we all see as being necessary for uh, the, the we'll call it the digital age. Um, and one of the things I love about uh, your story is that like mine and so many educators here at Mouse and, and, and everywhere uh, is that you have a pretty crooked path to where you ended up. You're now a hardware and software developer. You were just minutes ago telling me about the team, software team in Poland that you lead, right? <laughs> uh, 
And uh, but was there a moment in music school as an undergrad, right? That's right. Um, where you were so, like, you know what, I'm going to be leading a software development team in Poland. Uh, no, that that did not cross my mind in undergrad. I was yeah, right, music composition major, and I was actually a musician all my life. Uh, started playing saxophone at the at the early age of eight. When this when actually no, I was a nine because when I was eight, the saxophone teacher said, "You are too small." Really? Yes. The saxophone was like bigger than my torso. Wow. Because I wanted to play alto. I wasn't going to play soprano. Right. Even though I adored Kenny G at the time, just for the record. <laughs> of course you did. A hero. A hero still. Hence, hence hero the today. Kenny G tattoo on your That's forearm. Right. I have three, actually. <laughs> you can only see one. Um, right. But then uh, I, my second major in undergraduate was called Technocultural Studies. Where was that? That was at UC Davis. And Technocultural Studies with TCS was really unique in that it was half... Um, sociology and reading a lot of Heidegger and Kurzweil and then the other half was uh, digital media production so I learned uh, you know Pro Tools and Final Cut and Maya some you know modeling and then um, uh, and then I learned Maximus P which was Maximus P if you've never heard of it is a kind of visual programming environment uh you don't write lines of code you have objects mm -hmm. and you connect them with with uh, lines with cables and uh, and you can make very sophisticated applications with it um but it is geared towards musicians um mostly it's a bit there are now um, a few different platforms that do what maximus speed does absolutely did. yeah yeah Absolutely. Right. I mean, in, and, you know, even like Quartz Composer uh -huh. kind of was one, one of the original visual programming languages. Yeah. Uh, and now, yeah, VVVV and, um, and there's, yeah, there's several. But then I went to immediately to grad school to New York City. Yeah. And so that was at Parsons. That's uh, where you and I met. <clears throat> that's where and you met. were in the design and technology program at Parsons, That's right? correct. Where then I taught for seven years. Yeah. Seven years almost. And what was, though, your first exposure? Um, so you were always a musician. Mm -hmm. Was it college when you were first doing digital things? Or yeah, were absolutely. you a, a geeked out kid before that? I was a music nerd. And so a music tech nerd also. I, like, had my pedal board. I played guitar also, you know, from middle school on. And I had, like, a massive pedal board. And, you know, I was, like, really into uh, into technology in general. But... I did not really make my own stuff until, yeah, until right at the end of undergrad. Actually, I did a couple of projects. I learned Arduino. It was right my last couple months of undergrad. Mm. Um, so you were, by the time you went to college, though, you were familiar with the quarter-inch plug. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's pretty cool. So, so the world of sort of digital, the way that digital was uh, intersecting with music was very much around. So that yeah. was that was influential. But mm -hmm. it sounds like this program at UC Davis was a was a pretty huge absolutely yeah no stepping stone really for you. It really yeah. And it's, they are still um, doing it, some pretty amazing stuff out at UC Davis. Yeah, Davis. Yeah, I think that it just got folded into. It used to be its own major. Mm -hmm. My di diploma says technocultural studies, but now I think it's just folded into. Fine art, maybe. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I need to go back. Technocultural yeah. studies is a way better degree for your one day TED Talk bio. <laughs> <laughs> I should have called myself a technoculturalist. <laughs> yes, you should. Yes, you should. Yeah. I, in fact, that's the way I'm going to introduce you in this okay. podcast. Technoculturalist Joseph Adrian stopped by. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So, uh, Shalene, what was the coolest project that came out of this most recent micro project? Yeah. And, uh, and also, if you can tell us the technology you were using to introduce students to a creative way of getting into 3D environment. Yeah. So the website in particular that we used was called CoSpaces. Uh, a member of the mouse team had encountered it somewhere there and brought it to my attention. And I really liked it because you could really easily, they had these prefabricated 3D models that you could just manipulate in this 3D environment. And you could, you know, assign walls here and there. You could uh, code the uh, 3D objects to say if it was a bird, it could flap its arms or it could move diagonally across the screen. So there was a even though there uh, was a lot that was already done for you. Uh, so th it was great in that way and that the students had didn't have to have a lot of prior knowledge in order to participate. Mm -hmm. But they also could do a lot on their own. So yeah. there was a lot of uh, leeway and what they could bring to the table. Uh, and in working with it, it was really interesting because the way that I envisioned the project, uh, I first of all just envisioned that if many of our students, uh, you know, we can't assume that they're going to have a very fancy smartphone, for instance, or that they're going to have prior uh, experience with VR and with having maybe something as simple as a Google Cardboard setup. So the way that I envisioned the project was if we have a student who is lucky enough to have encountered these things before and had a Google Cardboard that they could get access to and slip their phone in there, um, what is a basic environment where they could just you know, sit in a, in a chair and turn around 360 degrees and see something that they made? Mm -hmm. And the students actually took it to a place that I didn't imagine but was much better in that which is they, kind of always always it, the case. Exactly. Yeah. It was very much in because we tied the theme to a haunted house building a haunted environment. And they took it from just being a 360 degree panoramic view that you could take to actually you are a character in this 3D environment, maybe like a maze, maybe a house and you're going to walk through it. And there are going to be like scary images. There's going to be like the movie It was really popular with them, apparently. So a lot of them imported images from Google and just had like the It uh, Pennywise clown mm. just splattered across the, the window in a house or something. Uh, so it was really interesting in seeing how they were able to think of it in this way that I had not. And that was actually much more successful than mm. my you guys had a lot of submissions for this project. Yeah, we, we had a lot. We had close to 300, not including the ones, of course, who didn't follow our exact instructions. So they had to post it in a specific way. Mm -hmm. uh, if if we had included those, it would be a little bit over 300. But yeah, we had a pretty good turnout for that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so how old were those students? It ranged. Like uh, the youngest class that I know of off the top of my head is maybe fourth, fifth grade. How old is that exactly? Uh -huh. I, it's been a while. And then the oldest are high school, you know, po possibly seniors. But it's, it looks like it tends to be like ninth or tenth grade is the cutoff. Interesting. And how much time did so you announced the, the challenge? Yeah. And then how much time did they have? It was the month of October? Yeah, all of October, yeah. So um, some some schools kind of just do it in one session. Some plan it out a little bit more and have the students come in consecutive days and then finally uh, submit the ultimate project on, you know, the day before sure, the deadline. Sure. That's great. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, Can people see those? Is there a publicly, URL? Publicly, no. Yeah, no. Only the winners. So we have three winners uh, who oh. are on our public post, and you can see their 
their uh, works. I will link to the public post in the show notes you for should, the episode. Because I want to see that. I will most definitely send it to you. I would love to see that. Um, and do you know what tools they were using? I mean, you were vaguely describing, but do you know what, uh, like most people of you know that age group, what they were? Yeah, um, I, I mean, um, with and excited in about. terms of like 3D modeling, it, we, we tend to suggest something like Tinkercad or like mm-hmm. SketchUp. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what how how much in, information or, or experience they've had before with VR. So right. I'm not sure what their side of things looks like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 interested because it was for the web then. It was mo- It was all mobile. Yeah. Yeah. All mobile. Uh-huh. Yeah. So all within the browser. Nothing okay. to download or install. Okay. Right. 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 That's so right. they they did this uh, micro projects usually in a month. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Joe, as a professional who's doing this stuff, what are the kinds of things that a project like that is good preparation for? Oh, oh, very interesting. I mean, uh, much more than you think, actually, I would say, because when you talk about the the 3D modeling, when you talk about designing a, a VR experience, those are, you know, not those are not uh, necessarily needed right on either end and both of those have their own um, entirely separate domains where where they can be really useful right in terms of 3d modeling we work with a lot of architects mm. um, at planeta we we have um, uh, several uh, architect uh, architecture connections and 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 even one architect that that works with us very very regularly and uh, he, uh, you know, when you think about 3D modeling and you think about what uh, what kind of um, opportunities professionally there are, uh, massive, massive amounts. Um, in the entertainment industry, you know, in video, in, um, you know, in just 2D video, there's, you know, you watch movies these days, obviously, not even just 3D movies, but, but 2D movies, there's uh, uh, teams of, of modelers. Um, that are, you know, employed doing that, even though their work that they're doing is nothing that will ever be explored other than the camera that's placed in in the digital space, right, from that one perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think, what else? And and the reason for that, I'm, I'm testing what I think I know about mm. why. Um, the reason for that is that there's, there's pretty much no image, unless it's intentionally um, low fidelity, uh any image that you see on television or or in the movies that's not incorporating that additional dimension and rendering it through a computer in such a way that you can do more with it with modeling yeah right? absolutely right i mean m- so many movies are you know 50% or more composited right right it's like actors in front of a green screen yeah. and then you need to actually create the scene behind them and um and so you know that that kind of skill set is is uh, really has nothing to do with making a virtual reality experience and and designing for for that kind of uh, that platform. So I do think there's a lot there um, now. You know, in terms of professionally, right now that is the most obvious kind of place, right? So we've also done a lot of photography uh, exhibitions. So we uh, have there's a uh, African photographer named Malik Sadibe, and we created a, a entire basically took the work being featured at uh, Red Hook Labs, which is a um, 
studio in in Red Hook and took their they had an exhibition and we jet recreated uh, uh, imagined just these these photographs in um, in an experience that you actually walked through right that you could I, actually I, I got and, to do it. Oh, when you I, tried it. When oh, you I tried came, it, right. came to see you, yeah. And you saw how, like, we incorporated audio into yep. that and, and how important, um, you know, that audio in terms of immersion is just critical. Absolutely. You'll, you'll never feel like you're being transported or, or you're isolated or you're in a, in a foreign place uh, without also, uh, you know, having audio be an important aspect. There. That's it. And it wasn't about <clears throat> there just being audio, obviously. No, right. We like were... uh, this was about setting the context for where these photographs were, were sort of culturally relevant. And um, and it was powerful. I mean, it was a the internal environment was fairly stripped down, right, as a gallery. I mean, galleries usually are. Um, at Red Hook Labs or in the experience? In the experience. So in the experience, right, there was like kind of three or four scenes. Yeah. And you're right. The first scene was a kind of a very stripped down room, like or, or actually kind of like a an empty. I You know, I wish um, I could have brought some of the other developers or, or, or creators here, designers of the experience to talk more about this because I know I'm going to leave a lot of things out. But then you would trans, uh, transition into uh, this party dance room. Where we were then we're featuring these images because he actually did a lot of uh, took a lot of photographs of dancing hmm. uh, in Africa in in Mali I believe and um, uh, and they're also very the photographs must have been from the seventies uh, when he was in his in his prime and he I think he he's passed a few years but uh, that you know there was like lights more lights in that room yeah. and then the music was very loud and also the images were yeah. much larger you know playing with scale I think is a really exciting thing about virtual reality just the fact that you can be as small as a, as you know a molecule yeah. in, in theory or as large as the Empire State Building or, or larger yeah. and um, I was I was in preparation for this conversation mm. I scanned Google for the weirdest VR game titles. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, one of them was 100-foot uh, robot golfer. Oh, wow. That's, that's the title uh, of the of the. That's experience. the title. And, uh, yeah, you can imagine what it's about. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. yeah, scale Pizza. being definitely, <laughs> definitely a, a pretty core to what people are uh, experimenting with. Uh, have you seen Accounting VR? Yeah. yeah. In fact, That's I read about it today. one of the best ones. Yeah. I recommend it. Tell us about Accounting yeah. VR. Accounting VR, we didn't make it. I'm just going to tell you. No, about. yeah. <laughs> it, it exists in the world. It exists. I think it was made by the Rick and Morty yes. fellow, oh. fellows yes. team. Uh, which is one of my favorite shows on television, yeah. probably of all time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you well, you begin the experience as an accountant, and yeah. you're literally sitting at a desk, and it's kind of like a puzzle game in that you're just exploring the objects around your desk until you fall into a portal, or you like pick up a pair of sunglasses and then you put the sunglasses on, and then you know you literally watching another world approaching your eyes as you pull the sunglasses onto your face and. And then you are in another. It's really, it's a super creative game. It's very funny. Also weird and um, vulgar <laughs> as they are. Yeah, I have uh, not yet played it. You should, I, I just read it. about it. I recommend it. Um, what is the coolest thing you're working on right now? Oh, I can't talk can about it. Can you talk it. about it? <laughs> <laughs> the coolest thing I can talk about? Let's see. It's not, but it, does it have to be VR or AR? Should we talk uh, about it? Let's, let's stick with that. Yeah. 
Let's look with VR and AR. Okay, yeah. so we just released. Um, but, but now I'm intrigued. So tell me, yeah, tell me right. both. Do you want to hear about some yeah, horror projects? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the uh, well, first I'll pitch Giphy World, which is a iOS app. Right now we're working on the Android app, but um, it uses uh, it uses AR Kit, which is a library released on iOS. I know I'm going to get a little jargon. Yeah, is that no. okay? This is going to get a little, maybe. That's, that's the purpose of our conversation. <clears throat> Let's get a little jargony. And so AR Kit is really exciting. It's a native library uh, as part of iOS 11. Um, this was all launched in September. In September I think, yeah. is, I think, exactly right. I mean, the beta, we had access to the beta. I mean, developers, Apple developers had access to the beta maybe two months before that. Uh-huh. And we had actually been working on um, on our own AR uh, libraries, frameworks for uh, mobile specifically, right? right? Because... It was just—it's obvious that the processing power that is that is in our devices is just you know exponentially getting uh, more and more powerful and capable, and you know Snapchat has done a great job of of you, you've seen um, like the little hot dog guy yeah, for example, right? So when they launched that, they had they made their own uh, uh, that was all their code, um, right? Snapchat, I, they probably acquired, I think Snapchat has been acquiring companies like crazy, but they have been acquiring, uh, they certainly created their own uh, uh, AR toolkit in order to be able to get it to work so smoothly. And it okay. did work really nicely. You could really place it on a table and then, you know, move your phone around that table. Um, and it would it was it was quite stable and really impressive. And so we were like, we should try that. We should try and see how far we can get. And um and one of uh, you know one of our team members uh, really dedicated himself to it for for several months. And and as is the case with technology in general, the world moves so fast, and you know things are constantly getting deprecated, things are constantly getting updated, things are constantly needing you know, and that'll often break all of the other code, and you have to you know make uh, uh, you have to figure out ways to to incorporate the bleeding edge of anything. Mm. Um, and the bleeding edge is moving just so fast. But anyway, um, ARKit, the beta, was released, and we were like, wow, it's excellent. It's really good. And and the tools that they that, that enables is is really, really surprising at uh, at how easy it is actually now to to uh, to get up and running uh, building a simple AR app yeah. um, um, on iOS. And so um, we immediately we had already been working really on in in ideas uh, around GIFs because Giphy is one of our biggest partners. We had made an app called Giphy Cam, which is a two D uh, GIF app. It do, now does face tracking, and um, but that that that's it. It was really just two D uh, with a little bit of three D with the face tracking. But um, my point in this story is that uh, Giphy World. We had begun conceiving of many, many months ago, but it only really once that beta launched, they, they had released that, we could just, we just immediately started running with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and our iOS team did an amazing job of just bringing up this app really in six weeks. Wow. And Apple loved it because uh, it, it was a totally different application. So I don't know if you paid attention at that time, Apple was pushing their, this um, feature which is only available, I believe, on the iPhone 7 
um, and maybe the 6S. I think the 6S is the oldest phone. But uh, with the with the release of iOS 11, they did a huge press push around it, and IKEA had a big app yeah. Yeah, where you could that. place the furniture. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so and and there was a, a few. There was a few that uh, basically they invited um, a Giphy to to show. With you know to demo to all these press on this little small press tour across the country, showing off uh, these new applications using ARKit, yeah. and uh, and ours was totally weird because it's literally placing gifts in space. The concept really is about how can you, you know, Giphy and gifts in general as a communication tool. Uh, how can we be pushing those boundaries, right? So, how can you create a space? Around you, where you're placing gifts of, uh, you know, Pee Wee Herman or, or talking bananas, and maybe create a <laughs> birthday card, and really, you know, create a space that you're looking around and it's attaching itself to surfaces, uh, you know, horizontal surfaces, and then send that to your friend and say like, hey, here's a here's a world that I created uh, for you yeah. right now. So that's the. That's the um, I think the real innovation there is the fact that I can create this like totally invisible world and then share it with you, send it to you with a link. You open the app and then uh, and then you can see whatever messages or or sentiments or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. happy or sad or mad. Yeah. I'd like you to be or angry. Yeah. Or That's scared. Cool. That's really interesting. You check it out. Yeah. Give you world. I'm gonna good. Dude. <laughs> uh, now, even more amazing is that the new I'm an Android user, by the way. <laughs> but okay. uh, Apple has just you know amazing hardware and software. But um, the latest devices have two cameras. Yeah, and that is enabling even more, um, basically understanding of the world that the device can do through um, through cameras. It's more data. It's more data, and it's more accurate, and it's more three dimensional, um, and so. The, our latest experiments are really exciting um, using ARKit to spatially track the device's location and orientation in a space, mm -hmm. but not even using the camera data, just tracking. So, so yeah. because it's got these two cameras here, we can actually see um, um, objects in the room mm -hmm. and know where the camera is, where it's moving. Right. Then we're rendering totally separate, uh, uh, literally a Unity app that is not using the camera feeds whatsoever and making room scale VR. A room scale VR experience just with uh, your phone. Does so that make sense? Give us a practical example of what that might turn into. So uh, you could create a, um, let's see, let me think of a good example here. Well, so let's actually talk about the difference between room scale VR and stationary or Perfect. standing VR. Yeah. yeah. So the difference there is Google Cardboard. You know, when right. when Google released Cardboard, that was amazing. And I mean, not just because of the price point, but what it actually enabled, right? So it it's using stereoscopic lenses, right? You've got two lenses. It's splitting your screen in half. And the only thing it's using in terms of your movement is the IMU sensors, the inertial movement sensors in the device. So that is the accelerometer, the gyroscope, and the magnetometer compass in your device. Mm -hmm. And all of those only really allow you to know this, the orientation of your device in space. Right. You're... you're I know. Moving your device around. Not helpful in, for a podcast. <laughs> in, <but. laughs> in the air, like 
Like a hand model would, perhaps. Uh, you that might was, have a side gig. That was a backup side career gig. option. Yeah. My mom nixed Con- it, though. Continue. Just kidding. My mom actually told me I should be a model. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course she did. But my dad <laughs> brought me back to reality. So then with uh, Google Cardboard, um, you can look around. But you cannot take a step to the side mm. or take five steps to the side even forward or backward. And really standing up and sitting down also does not have, I mean, sometimes there's some subtle uh, effect that happens when you stand up and sit down, but in general, it's really just your body in a stationary position and your head moving around. Um, That's stationary standalone or uh, standing VR, maybe they call it. Um, Room scale is what HTC Vive and Oculus uh, rift to a smaller extent a little bit uh, enable you to really walk around a space you can crawl on the floor and actually like uh, touch you know be on all fours stand up and um, uh, strafe left and right you guys know what strafing is in, yeah. you know, explain yeah. it for those who don't uh, in counterpoint or in a counterpoint counter strike <laughs> thank you Counterpoint is a music theory term. <laughs> uh, strafing is when you shuffle directly to your left and right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that a, how, do you, yeah. how would you explain yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like a, a field maneuver. Yeah. Like, you just, just strafe. Yeah. It's directly left, directly right without turning yep. your body. Yep. Anyway, um, room scale VR uh, is, is, um, is the real deal. And uh, and there is, you know, in terms of immersion and in terms of building an experience, it's 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 a game changer because you if you're building an experience with multiple spaces in um, in stationary VR in mobile VR, um, you have to come up with a novel way to transport yourself to actually move in the space. Right. So the um, daydream have you used able daydream introduced a controller. Yeah, so um, it's like a very small, very simple controller, of, right? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but before that, it was really just um, pointing your gaze in a direction and and holding your gaze. Yeah, and then maybe you would see a selector that would then grow in size or or blink, and then you would move to right. that that space. Um, with room scale, you can walk around. You can really make an entire room, uh, um, you know, uh, your playground. Mm. Now, what I was describing with the with the new, latest with AR Kit with these latest mobile developments, we can we have prototypes right now where you can really walk around a room uh, with just a Google Cardboard. Now you need to expose the cameras. Cardboard is not designed to expose the cameras, but um, but another thing that Planeta makes is VR viewers. Mm. So yeah, I've seen some and, of them. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah, we've got um, a couple of you know these are objects designed for mobile VR, um, but with the camera in mind because um, because yeah that's going to enable you to strap this on and walk around your house mm-hmm. and see you know, whatever you'd like. What's, what's the coolest demo environment you've seen <clears throat> Ooh. Ge- in general? I know you get to go to some, some pretty, you know, that's funny that you said, I went to fancy, the, uh... fancy, uh, you know, geeked out conferences and things. Yeah, I don't know. There's like, so... like that would be a, um, a solid illustration of what's powerful about, um, what you just described technically. Oh, in terms of uh, room scale. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about another one of our projects Mm -hmm. where it would never have been possible with just um, 
with just a phone. So we did a project for a um, a festival in London. I believe it was called uh, A&D Festival, uh, Abandoned Normal Devices Festival. And they, I think I told you about this a little earlier, but yeah. you, we created an experience where you are a, a caveman. And uh, part of that experience, well, uh, I can talk about a lot of interesting parts about the project, but a lot of the experience is about being on the ground and actually like sitting on the ground, kneeling on the ground and crawling around the ground. Mm. Uh, and so you know, it's our documentation, which we haven't published yet, is really funny because it's and it was also a multiplayer experience. So we had, I believe, six vibes mm. in one area, in one space, a shared space. And uh, and it was people crawling around each other. They could also see each other in in the experience. Um, but uh, but they were, you know, RoomScale VR actually allowed them to literally put their head to the ground and eat food off of the ground. <laughs> uh, eating eating became, yeah. We yeah. So we actually had to develop a, some custom hardware to detect chewing. Oh. Because essentially that became a controller. Your mouth became another controller um, beyond the two in your, in your hands. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's something that your phone um, previously yeah. was not able to do. However, combining AR kit with uh, a VR uh, yeah. rendering or, or application, um, we can do. We're going to be able to do room scale with yeah. just your phone, which is really, really, really That's amazing. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah so uh, at the Future of Storytelling Expo, yes, I, I saw the virtual reality uh, game on the Oculus, and it was fantastic. Like you were able to the the game basically involved a demo where you're a Morty clone. And you have to just stoop down and pick up some clothes and put it in a in a, a washing machine. If you don't do it in a certain amount of time, or some other actions come up. And I just thought it was so neat how there's so much that you can do in the game that is very different from any other experience I've experienced on a very low budget, you know, just phone cardboard setup. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, that that hardware, the Oculus hardware is is designed to... You know, not just be rendering at really nice frame rates with high resolution, but also be uh, it's specialized hardware. Right. So it's unfair to expect a phone to be performing on any kind of level like that. Um, But that being said, there are compelling experiences that that, you know, web VR totally. I think I still think there hasn't been um, been that that real hit. You know, of where everyone's like, oh, you have to get a Google Cardboard or, you know, put your phone into a viewer and you have to go to this website and you have to check out this thing. I feel like that hasn't that hasn't like uh, that hasn't hit yet, but it's definitely coming. Yeah, Um, it's definitely right around the corner. So it's great to get the kids, uh, you know. Uh, up and running yeah. now. What do you, yeah. what do you think? So let me appeal to the technoculturalist uh-huh. in you. Yeah. Uh, what do you think it's going to be? Transhumanism. Is it? It's <laughs> transhumanism. You just wanted to say transhumanism. I was just, is in my pocket. Um, what do you think it's going to be? Is it content or is it uh, the cost of things? Is it the user experience? I, th- I think it depends. Well, in what context, right? In education, because I know, you know, education is, is your... Is your theme here is what you know generally in and do you mean in order for it to become mainstream what's going to be the thing that um that 
tips it over that people are going to be like, you have to put your phone in yeah. with you or you have to do this. Or buy a, a, a VR device, right. right? I think cost is, first of all, cost is, is a huge one. Right. Because I think, you know, all right, so I, I'll give you an example of, of VR experiences in general. You can communicate what they are in a video on mm-hmm. YouTube. Right. And uh, and Facebook calls that mixed reality, by the way. That's Facebook's definition of mixed reality is when you are documenting a VR experience, but you're documenting a person playing it. They are on a green screen and you're overlaying the virtual reality that they're experiencing behind them and around them. So you're seeing someone going like this. They have replaced, you know, the controllers are the guns. I'm waving my arms around like I'm shooting a gun. Uh, and they're, you know, they're in the wild, wild west. And you still see, like, the person, uh, like, what they're doing and, and their reaction and their physical movements because you're watching a, a person's body. But uh, behind them is a green screen and they're just overlaying uh, the virtual world behind them. And so mm-hmm. – and and that includes occlusion, by the way. So if I hold a ball in the in this mixed reality setup, the ball would cover uh, half of my body, you know, if, if the camera's perspective is, is where you're sitting. Um, that's their definition of mixed reality. At least right now it is. Yeah. And I there, think, there are multiple, if you look absolutely, at, absolutely. uh, I did a previous episode in, uh, AR and VR specific to museum learning. And there were a couple articles in the show notes for that show specifically to a wired article about another company that, that had defined mixed reality in in pretty different terms based on a different technology. So it seems like the um, the definition of mixed reality is an evolving uh, thing. But, yeah, um, absolutely. But so what I was getting at, though, is that I think right now you can be like, oh, you got to check out this awesome thing. Uh, and I'll be like, well, let me look at like a YouTube video of it. Right. And so one of my favorite VR experiences still, which was probably one of the first VR experiences I ever like. I had, I've never even done it myself, but I have because it's I don't think it's actually – uh, published thing. It was just someone had made this demo of a plank uh, at the top of like a really, really tall building. Yeah. And you are standing on the building's roof. The plank is like hanging off the roof and there's a kitten at the end of the plank Okay, yeah. that needs to be saved. And so you're supposed to walk, you know, down this plank, you're you know, hundred stories off the ground uh, to pick up this kitten and then bring it back to the roof. Um, and then, you know, in, in the video, the documentation of it, they had actually laid down, uh, you know, some wooden planks. So you were standing on a plank, but you were one inch off the ground. Right, right. Uh, and just watching that, you know, is you can imagine what that feeling is. Yeah. And you can probably imagine it enough to not say, I need to spend $1,800 on the VR headset, the really expensive computer that runs it, you know, the wooden plank I would have to buy <laughs> right. and the space that I have to clear out in order to do it. Right. You know, I, I think that, uh, that, you know, that in terms of content is, you know, uh, a little bit, um, you know, not, not super deep, but it is a, like a visceral experience that, you know, you can really, uh, uh, trigger and, and, it's compelling in some ways, but it's not something that's going to make you, you know, really go jump through all the hoops and spend all the money, right. the resources to, uh, to, to, to make yeah, it happen. So it's going to be yourself. that combination of things, the, the cost intersected with 
yeah, whatever the, the experience is, that's totally going to change. Yeah, the um, content is is equally critical, yeah. right? Uh, um, I'm curious what you think of some of the. Uh, I know it's not exactly your wheelhouse. Yeah, but, sure. Um, None some, of this is exactly some, my wheelhouse. <laughs> your wheelhouse is everywhere and nowhere. I have a large wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> But some of the VR experiences that are coming out of filmmakers like Chris Milk. Yeah. Uh, I saw him talk at that conference. Yeah. Who are, yeah. Shalene, are you, are you familiar? No. So he's done some things that have been funded. He's done many things, but recently some things funded by the UN oh. uh, where he's doing things for, for example, uh, refugee populations where he'll go in and do a series of uh, video that really get people give people a, a richer virtual experience of being in a refugee camp oh. and and what that's like and yeah. you know obviously this is all about uh, empathy and um, and for the UN's interests raising awareness and and certainly funds across many nations uh, towards some of these uh, humanitarian issues yeah. Um, but that's a huge thing, and I wonder whether um, I wonder whether there's a moment where you know, from a, a filmmaker's perspective, whether there's there can be a, uh, a a filmed experience that would tip the scale and kind of put people into a place where it's like, you know, what this is a must for starting with this is a must for the wealthy person's home theater, but eventually becoming. Uh, necessary as uh, spaces in, um, you know, computer labs and maker spaces in schools and public libraries and things like that. Uh, it kind of uh, it, it takes uh, it evolves the idea uh, that's 10 years old, at least 15 years old of the virtual field trip um, and really kind of, you know, puts it uh, into a a totally different space and and different power but uh we'll see what it's what's going to sort of tip the scale and make people feel like it's a, an experience that they have to have right right, um, right. Yeah. and that's worth the investment and i think you know how much it costs is is it's yeah, big it's factor, uh, yeah. it's coming down so it's coming yeah. down so here's yeah yeah Here's one of the things I wanted to do while you're here yeah. is um, for us to do some uh, Google shopping. And Shalene yeah. has brought his Google machine. Great. Um, <laughs> Magic Googler here. Yeah. And here's what I'm thinking. for Bing. We're, we're, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah. His Bing machine. <laughs> his agnostic search engine. Uh, yeah. So he. Um, we're going to create a space. For Mouse's headquarters. Oh, great! Yeah, that's right. this is a good exercise. Um, that is that really brings to life the virtual experience and helps us take a leap from uh, projects like the one that Shalene described earlier on uh, to the next level, like really getting young people thinking about what this multi-dimensional, multi-sensory experience can be like, and um, and then connect that to computation and uh, all kinds of things that we want to make sure they're uh, integrating into the, the world of creative computing. So um, so we're going to do that. We're going to envision it as this space that we're in, which is about a eight by 10 um, uh, meeting room with uh, no real windows, uh, yeah. with the exception of one to the out to the interior. Um, so where would we start? 
uh, I think as an educator, I would be tempted to like jump into headsets. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, so our goals here though, let's just reiterate our goals. Our goals are to um, build the, the audio visual setup yeah. in order to allow one student at a time to both develop, test, and uh, exhibit their work in yes. virtual reality yes exactly. okay. Yeah. okay so this is cost per student is what we're doing well yeah that's the other thing about vr you know, it's only it's it's one person at a time okay it's so one person per moment. headset let's build time. that let's build that setup um okay so you know we can choose right now oculus or vive if we're going to uh we're, we're obviously doing room scale we're going to say this entire room is the playground here yes um so we, I think Oculus is significantly cheaper right now if we... And that's that's separate from like the Samsung Gear VR thing. I, I know Very that, that was separate, like a partnership. Right. So but... Samsung Gear VR, right. They called that Oculus, the Oculus Gear VR. That is, uh, as I was saying before, stationary or standalone. Gotcha. You cannot get up and walk around. Uh, it, it has no idea. It only is perceiving, um, uh, yeah, your, yeah. Head, your head's movement. Gotcha. But good question, because they did. It is called Oculus. So, although I believe that's now faded away. So we're gonna go with or fading the Oculus. So we have Oculus. You go Oculus. So I, I do believe if you go to click on the shopping tab, you, you said it was oh, cheaper, it's gonna right? be. I think it's a couple hundred dollars cheaper, right? So this is now four hundred dollars. Okay. This is the Oculus headset with two touch controllers. Right. Um, let's see. Let's see what the. No, that's for four hundred bucks. That's just four hundred bucks. Which is a great deal. Now, wait, I just want to make sure that comes with the sensors, yeah. the lighthouses. It's not clear. It must. It must, because this would be. So from Best Buy, yeah, it's it's $400. And it definitely comes with the full, the two-sensor setup. So interestingly, the technology that powers these two things are completely different in terms of the tracking that happens. Uh, so Vive is uh, 599 Okay. Um, so yeah, $200 difference there. Um, after that, we still need a computer to drive all of these things. Yeah. That's going to drive it well, right? It's so going to drive it well. Not exactly. going to be a drag on the experience. So right. we need a, uh, we need a PC tower with a, at the minimum is a GTX 1060. I think a 1080 is what, uh, you would want. Uh, I would do 1080 because 1080, 1080 is really... 1080 is what you want. There we go. 1080. So okay. just for the desktop, what? That's too much. Wow. That's a ripoff. Don't do that <laughs> one. Which one? The the two grand one? Yeah, there's one for two grand and it's just the tower. Mm. Mm. Don't do it. Okay. Don't do it. Okay, the Lenovo Idea Center. Does this? <laughs> it's called the Idea Center. Does it have an Nvidia? All right, let's just average the tower to be about fifteen hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. That's like kind of. I mean, this is a ripoff, but this is a, a coming. You know what? That's just the tower. We need a nice monitor. Right. We need monitor a keyboard too. and a mouse. Four K monitor. A four K monitor is uh, really nice. Not needed for a. I mean, all right. yeah. Is, is that necessary? Like, is what it, standard do you think? I don't think it, it's you know, unless you're really. The question really... is what in. Let's assume we get a grant 
Right. Right. And you're oh, and absolutely we gotta get top of the line. We don't we don't get to replace this monitor for five years. Right. Mm, Ten great. years. Sure, even. sure, sure. Right. So the question is what's gonna be developed only for four K or in some way that looks janky on anything but four K. So yeah. we're getting four K. We're getting four K. Okay. And it should be large as well, right? Because you know you're going to be editing your your scenes, your your yeah. How big you think? Like uh, I would say at least twenty four. Twenty four. Twenty four is the minimum. I would say. It's a great deal for a four K monitor. I'm not sure if they're sticking to our our fourteen or not fourteen twenty four inch. These are great deals. Oh, here we go. 21 you to 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were showing 4K 20 for how much? 4 inch. 200 bucks. Yeah, 250. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that one. I would do I, I let's just say 250. Okay. Okay. That that's still an that's amazing. Not so no, bad. that is not, not so bad at all. Not terrible that at all. not so bad at all. Um okay, so now we need what else do we need? You know, the basic setup is now complete. The very very bare bones setup uh, obviously, we're going to need at least one desk. Right. You're going to want to sit in a chair <laughs> in front of that desk while you're editing, while you're while you're uh, developing. Uh, you will need um, to mount the two sensors somewhere permanently. Uh, that could be overhead. So we're not, are we paying for insurance for ladders? Um, <laughs> we can we can DIY the, the sensors, right? Uh, I, so I guess that is our basic. That is our bare bones. Okay, setup. so we're at like we're at. Um, oh, you know what I would add is well, no, for going Oculus, yeah, they have headphones built in that are pretty decent. Okay, they're not, they're not terrible, but if we're going Vive, yeah. uh, we would need to get some really nice headphones. headphones. Yeah, um, because audio is yeah potentially another two hundred bucks, right? right. Um, so we're at we're at I think uh, based on today's prices mm-hmm. shop now uh, mm-hmm. we could effectively get a setup to do what we described which is one student having an experience at a time who can test their stuff who could um, uh, build their stuff right. uh, for about three grand so three grand it's a lot of a lot of change. A lot of kickballs. A right. lot of textbooks. I mean, in terms of classroom technology, but, what, what but do you not, think? But not so bad. Right? Not no. absurd. Not a, not completely insane. Uh, now, yeah. what, what I think a principal is going to ask uh, is, okay, you know, so what's the cost if I want to do it for, um, you know, 10 students, 12 students at a time? Like, if I'm really going to make this a lab setting, I need to cycle some people through this thing. Um and then, in addition, what's the support look like? Because no doubt we're going to need uh, – it's going to break once a week. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it's still a pretty expensive endeavor. Um, you know, for a, a sort of boutique place like us where we're really focused on digital literacies and, and uh, uh, computational literacies, certainly it's an investment that's getting more realistic – but uh, but for a school who are um, you know where a note goes home once a week for uh, to send in art supplies, um, it's a pretty huge investment for for one uh, one student at a time. Yeah, 
I would also add that the amount of time, you know, once you once we have all of this in this room, yeah, you've got obviously the IT people will will hook everything up, right? But that doesn't uh, account for the amount of time that every every boot up of that computer or of launching of uh, of an app frequently requires some kind of calibration, mm-hmm. right, to make sure that everything is working like yeah. properly, and that can take you know minutes, like many minutes, and that can be minutes every single yeah. session. Um, and the fact that it is just one headset. Mm-hmm. We can mirror the headset on a screen uh, so that, you know, other people, the teacher at the very least, can be watching what's happening and, and understanding a little bit about is the is it working, first of all, properly? Uh, second of all, you know, what is the what is that experience without needing to, you know, take the headset off and then put it on another right. person? Uh, yeah, practicality just it feels it feels along. It feels not that. Yeah. Not very simple. Now, is that, is that not the place to start? Do we do well, we start with AR or or some other more? I think mobile, as you guys already have done, as Mouse is already yeah. jumping into mobile VR, has a lot to offer. Um, and I do think that that's uh, a great. I mean, in terms of classroom, that seems so much more viable. No. Um, obviously, you, it's difficult to expect students to have smartphones, but uh, getting a set of iPod touches or does that still exist? You know, something something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, for three thousand dollars, how many how many iPod touches can you get? Mm-hmm. A lot. Let's use the Google machine. Is right iPod on. Touch a thing though? I don't know I, if that's actually a product. I anymore. think so. I'm not sure. I think it is. Hundred eighty nine dollars. Yeah. Apparently zero point zero one dollars on another website. <laughs> let's go with one hundred eighty nine. You know, if you've got three grand. Yeah. And now you want a cheap headset, maybe that's uh you can you could purchase some Mona masks from us or some Infinity VR viewers from us. Mm-hmm. Uh well those are a little more expensive, but you know, you're talking uh for something really reusable, maybe thirty or forty dollars. Yeah. Google cardboard not very reusable. Google cardboard will disintegrate and get face oil. Yeah. Gets a little gross. Yeah. But uh that's I think in terms of classroom. Um, now you have a classroom, not just one uh, one person. Uh, I'm just imagining the day when Google Cardboard is so accessible, uh-huh. but like you said, it it gets um, beat up. Where there are Google Cardboards just like all over the sidewalk, like like right. banana. <laughs> well, that happened then when the New York like Times mushy, mushy banana peels, yeah. just yeah, just everywhere. I just dispose of my Google Cardboard. <laughs> like I had this experience. Yeah. Of a, Toss it on the side. Well, we we one of our viewers, the Mona mask is actually machine washable. It's mm-hmm. made of cloth. Oh. Um, so imagine a Google Cardboard, but made of denim uh, that you can sterilize oh. uh, uh, if you need to. Yeah. Um, so really, and it's you know looks cool and and can be designed and and very reusable. Yeah. yeah. Was the so concept there? My last question, important question on the technical side mm-hmm. is. We obviously have much less interest in um, young people just using VR than we do them developing VR. Absolutely. Um, And VR as a tool for their thinking and their putting their own perspective into the world. So so where should we be right now in terms of systems that um, give them lots of options that they can develop for? that are fairly accessible and don't you don't need a, a four-year degree to 
to jump into. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, you know, we use Unity. We're talking about like the actual development of the of the yeah. software, yeah. the experience, right? Unity uh, is really, really extensible. Um, you can, you know, primarily when it came out was games. Yeah, right. And it, I think it still is. I'm sure it still is. Um, because it, it is, uh, uh, you know, not only does it come with, uh, you know, it, it is it is quite technical, but it comes with, uh, uh, you know, the this concept of creating a scene and implementing objects with uh, with listeners that react to to various rule sets that you define. Um, it's great. It's great. And it definitely, you know, it's certainly not for middle school, or at least I would be very impressed if a middle schooler was, yeah. you know, had a, mm -hmm. had a Unity project, but, but not only, uh, I'm sure high schoolers are using Unity and, and, and in college and, and further, but you can code in C sharp and build your own custom modules. So if you are a programmer, it also is, uh, uh, really really useful i mean really accessible really extensible is really the word i was looking for you can you can be making your own custom modules uh, that behave certain ways that integrate um you know http calls to the internet right so maybe your application is a real-time online uh multiplayer environment unity makes that very easy mm -hmm. and there's also an enormous community of developers as well as uh, their own asset store that has not just assets like you were describing like models that you can just import right so you can yeah. pay you know 10 bucks and get just a, a 50 vegetable library and right. it's like you have 50 vegetables half of them you don't even know of but that are really nice looking vegetables that are um, ready to go to, to import into your Unity project. But at the same time, you can get modules for physics. Um, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a really, it's, and it's a huge community. So there's people constantly debugging, you know, and, and working it's on so it. It's so funny because the one yeah. thing that I have been wanting to do with Unity is create a massive online game called Vegetable Stand. Mm. <laughs> and if they have a pack of vegetables... It's right. Your, your game's pretty, pretty much done. Off to the races. Pretty much done. They pretty much can. Yeah. I no, thought you I were going to say. I am. I'm a big fan of Unity. Uh, we are not in any way affiliated with Unity, um, but we have had some conversation with them. They are very interested in education, and they're actually doing. Uh, at at the moment, they have a license for schools that is. Mm. Um, they're full. Uh, yeah, they have an educators. They they're, they have they're, a free. Tier. Full tool set for for uh, nothing for schools. Oh, for free oh, for schools too, yeah, well, and that's probably even closer to the standard license. Yeah. Then the because they also just have you know for amateur people you for, can oh, just, yeah for you, the public. Yeah. Yes. I mean no, you, this is the this is the full on. But right, that's kit. great. That's, that's great. awesome. Um, Their biggest the other option there is an Unreal Engine. That's the other really popular one. Have you right. guys played yeah. Unreal Engine? Yeah. I haven't used it, but I've seen it in so many games. Yeah, so. a lot of games, a lot of like PlayStation games, yeah, um, or you know, console games, yeah, and PC games. So we should be using Unity with what? What kind of <clears throat> hardware is gonna is gonna get us there? Well, you know what I was actually gonna say. So at that Oculus oh, we, we said conference, the, the touch, right? Was that our the Unity conversation? Was oh, we were finishing our setup. Yeah, yeah, right. We had the Oculus. With a you know a, a nice PC tower with that GTX 1080 right. graphics card, um, right? In terms of software beyond Unity, um, you will need Windows license. 
because it, this is all Windows. Yeah. Oh. Everything we're talking about is Windows. Yeah. Mm. Right now. Right. Uh, maybe soon OS X. I heard that that there's going to be some movement there, but right now all of this is Windows, so yeah. you'll need some kind of Windows license. Yeah. But uh, no, in Unity you can then um, develop, uh, play, and export your your app, and then submit it to uh, to the to the Oculus Store or Steam mm. directly to Steam, yeah, which right. is uh, one of the biggest um, yeah marketplaces for VR uh, yeah. apps. Pretty um, awesome. Yeah, really awesome. I was going to say that um, everything that we just described is – so Oculus is working on – they were – I think it's still a code name, but they're calling it Project Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And this is worth Googling. Um, or bing, binging games. Binging. <laughs> and uh, that is – so actually, first you should Google the Oculus Go, I believe they're calling it. Oculus, Oculus Go. Go. So this was an announcement also during that conference. And if you click on here, this is essentially the Samsung Gear VR. Mm-hmm. Ah. But that does not need a phone. Basically, it has the phone built in. It's not a phone. It's just a screen and a processor and right. everything that drives that. Um but if you keep scrolling, you will see the price point. Yeah, let's see. They're hiding it. Wait for the reveal. Wow. That is a long reveal. Okay. I don't want to miss it, but I don't want to go too fast either. Three days later. <laughs> okay, it's one ninety nine. Okay. I'll just go not, ahead that's and do not bad at own all. reveal. It's one ninety nine. Wow. They're losing money. Mm. They're selling that yeah. as a loss leader. Yes. Mm. Uh-huh. They are saying that's, I mean, and and at first Vive was too, I believe, selling it a loss. Not anymore. But um, this uh, is a beautiful headset. You should uh, show Mark or Google it. But uh, yeah. it's uh, it's a beautiful headset. It does not, it's not room scale. Mm-hmm. This is standing stationary. But for $199, and I don't need a $700 phone. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it, you know, will connect. And it has a controller. Um, just a really simple uh, hand it's controller. Not bad at all. Um, but that's that's exciting. Mm. Um, not as exciting as the Project Santa Cruz, which is again an all-encompassing headset, no requirements for external sensors or external computers, but provides you room scale mm. using sensors embedded that are looking out. I think it's actually a series of cameras that are looking out and understanding the space that you're in. Um, similar to how I was describing ARKit, the capabilities that ARKit is enabling yeah. with, with oh. mobile VR. Uh, this, yeah, so this Ocul- Oculus Project Santa Cruz. Um, wow. This probably won't come out until the very end of 2018. Yeah. But there it probably many. will be 500, maybe uh, maybe between 500 and a grand. Mm. And that is uh, all, and that's everything. Mm. So to develop on it, certainly you'll need a computer to develop on it, but you won't need uh, a computer to be running your apps. This runs everything, including two controllers that it tracks perfectly Uh, in space. So this is like a souped-up version of uh, the other one. Right. The Go Go. Go is getting released soon, very soon. I think think early this year. But uh, 
that next one. That is definitely the future. I think in terms of practicality in thinking about how is this going to be something that we can have a classroom of people in VR, maybe the teacher also in VR, uh, actually walking students through something or explaining something with, you know, and it could be a shared experience, right, mm -hmm. where we're all in it together. But it's something more like the, the magic school bus where we're traveling inside of the human body. Mm -hmm. And I'm pointing out to you, here's yeah. where the liver connects to the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where does the liver <laughs> yeah. connect to, Wherever. whatever it connects to. Uh, I yeah. think, I, I think. I don't. I just don't think that this computer situation for Roomsco VR is, is practical enough for for real adoption in in an educational yeah. Yeah. context. This is the future, I think, in terms of adoption, mainstream adoption. We have a long way to go. Yeah, there's yeah. a long way to go. Yeah. So so, um, how long do you think? If you had to guess, mm. right? So here here's my here's my um, as I was preparing for our conversation. Uh, one of the things that VR instantly makes me think of, because I had a great um, high school English teacher, shout out to uh, J.P. Cleary. Um, <laughs> and we read Aldous Huxley, and mm, uh, yeah, Brave sure. New World is like, great. Yeah. but I can't talk about VR without thinking about Aldous Huxley. And so in 1931, here's a quote from uh, from Brave New World, was reality, however utopian, is something from which people feel the need of taking pretty frequent holidays. Um, and of course the whole book was kind of about, you know, had all of this. And, and this is one of many uh, science fiction writers or fantasy writers who have sort of uh, envisioned this world where um, we can do things in a multi-sensory way to simulate, um, you know, being, being elsewhere. Yeah. And, so then today I did uh, one of my favorite things to do in preparation for some of these conversations is I, I use Google Trends to see just what the search um, graph looks like for some of these things. And of course, like any of them, VR headset, virtual reality, um, all of these things, when you get to like 2015, 2016, there's just a total hockey stick. Yeah. Um, did you add the word pornography to your queries? I didn't. <laughs> that but, is um, a huge, definitely factor. a big, a big market. Yeah. It's timeless. Yeah. Well, I didn't. It is timeless. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but the advent of VR and that is yeah. not to be ignored. Yeah. That's all I'm saying in terms of numbers. Like, oh, that's interesting. And, and trends. So as we, think about, as we think about the... Uh, uh, the internet, really. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. just where the, <clears throat> the tipping point is... Um, be interesting to to know what the biggest influencers are going to be. No. Um, well, it's driven a lot of the internet technology. So, but my question, years. my question was: It looks, if you do some research, like mm. we're there, like <laughs> right. But does sure. it feel like we're there to somebody who is like in in this world and and developing with it? To me, as an educator, I don't feel like we're there. Like I feel like we're closer, but it still feels a ways off for. Um, a kid at a public school in uh, pick any of oh, our schools, right, right, right. Um, sure. To be having a virtual experience that that is really sort of well tied into um, an experience that's going to be meaningful. It's going to be meaningful and, and right. just well uh, situated in the ecosystem of their learning and things. So it feels like we're a ways off, but, or but how lives, does it feel right? to you? So, okay, we demo our apps a lot. We demo our, our projects and things uh, in public. Yeah. Uh, we've done, I don't know, at least, 
I can't even count, like maybe 20 public exhibitions where we brought our own system. We have our own, we have a, a maybe like three vibes in the office and then a fourth vibe in a Pelican case mm-hmm. that uh-huh. has a, uh, uh, we actually, you can get a Razer laptop, which is a really beautiful mm-hmm. uh, PC laptop. It's much more expensive, but it has a GTX 1070 at least. And so you can run a Vive off of a laptop. Oh. It's just a really expensive laptop. Razer is the company if, if anyone's looking for that. But yeah. um, uh, so we have our travel Vive. And we will go to a space, and whatever event it is, we will set up our sensors on tripods mm-hmm. in that space. We'll have our laptop inside of the Pelican case, and then, you know, just the cable running out. And then, uh, you know, there's usually three of us there, and we take turns being, like, the greeter. Yeah. And the, uh, okay, let me show you how to or help you get the headset strap on nicely. Yeah. And then uh, the like headphones cable, on. Cable uh, the, wrangler. The cable management is a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Have the two uh, controllers, put the two controllers, and then, like, lightly guide them to mm. begin whether yeah. some some of our experience is just like okay hit <laughs> hit the thumb button and it's gonna, just gonna start right. right other ones it's like okay do you see the hole to your left right and like someone's like looking at the left they're like no they need to turn around okay the hole's behind you turn around you just like hold them <laughs> oh, yeah and then they like walk into the and 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 what i think we've discovered is that if someone has never put on a vr headset it doesn't matter what you show them they are going to think it was amazing Mm-hmm. We could have been showing them just, you know, just the most mundane thing, but they 99% of the time will be like, that was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully they're saying that because what we made was amazing and it right. usually is amazing or, or, or always is amazing, I'm going to say. But um, uh, have you ever been like, actually, it's... we just attached a cable to a hockey helmet. <laughs> This was all you're on. You're on a camera, like we're creating a television show. Uh, uh, but no, my point is just that it's it the initial uh, anyone's initial introduction to VR always is something special yeah. for them because they've never done it before, and they're like, "That was really, really crazy." Yeah, um, whatever it was, and so then they go home and Google it. But that doesn't mean that they go out and buy a thing mm-hmm. or even yeah. seek out another experience. Or maybe they, you know, if they have the opportunity, they'll be like, oh, yeah, cool. Let me try that one. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, uh, my friends will be like, oh, I saw this new thing came out. Can I come over and try it? And yeah. they'll come to this the studio. This is where and... I, I feel like there's an advantage for museums right now. Yeah. Is, oh, totally. Because it's a great. It's a great draw for museums. It's exactly the kind of thing I'd love to go to a museum to experience. Uh, but not necessarily something I'm going to be expecting to take home with me. Um, Or feel the need. I mean, you'll Google it, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. you'll be like, that was so cool. Like, let me like learn a little bit more about what I just did. Cause I don't, I didn't even know it was there. And then Mm -hmm. I, so there was a line and people will just get into lines, you know, (laughs) like sheep. They'll be like, Oh cool. This is worth waiting for. And then, uh, and then they'll do it and they'll think it was awesome. And, uh, and then sure. The Google trends will reflect that Yeah. yeah, because it's, it's crazy exciting. And, and the reality is that, you know, what percentage of even the, just the United States has yeah. actually put on a VR headset? Yeah. Well, you yeah. look, it, that's know. the other thing is yeah. if you look at um, VR headset was my trigger in Google Trends for like who's actually looking to buy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was all Western countries. Like when you of look course, at how, course, the, right. how it lights up, it's, it's still uh, so limited in terms of access. Mm-hmm. Shaleen, before we... Um, before we go, yeah. as an educator, as somebody who has a lot of different experience, you're also a writer and um, you share some uh, uh, 
uh, intellectual genes, maybe with Alex Huxley <laughs> as somebody who is a fan I, I of, hope. of that that uh, world. Um, what's your hope uh, as a, a kid who grew up in Brooklyn? What is what do you hope uh, in your work in education and as somebody who's just sort of generally interested in making sure uh, that we can enrich through some of these experiences? Like, wh what do you see as being uh, the most ideal future for VR in education? Yeah, uh, I think that this is probably a little skewed by my interest in narrative as a writer, but I, I'm really interested in, in the storytelling mm. facility of this, like being able to tell your story or the story of a, a, a person who is in a very tough spot and tough situation, being able to illuminate something like that. I think that there's a lot of potential there to really, uh, in the way that we talk about video games as a as a tool for shining light on various social issues. I think that that VR has that same potential mm -hmm. and it has a very, it, it has a pull to it. Like what you were saying, like someone stepping into this for the first time and just being transported to this world, even if it's not uh, that technically profound or it wasn't very difficult to create, it, it, it's just amazing for that person. And I think that if we're able to tell really engaging and, captivating stories and narratives about people's mm -hmm. lives and their experiences with this technology. I think mm -hmm. that's going to bring a lot of people in. I think it's a, a beautiful uh, vision. I love that. Yeah, I definitely agree too. And yeah. the empathy piece for me is what's most exciting right. as well. Here's where I want to end. What is the coolest experience of yours that you would want to recreate in a world where haptics are that rich? Ah, mm, That's a great question. That is interesting. I would say if, I mean, this is not imagining how it would be possible, but mm -hmm. if it were possible, somehow feasible to do this, if you could give someone the experience of like my commute on a bike ride or something mm -hmm. like that, where you could, I don't know how it would, it, it would work haptically if you would like feel as mm -hmm. if you were on a bike mm -hmm. or something like that, right. but just giving them that kind of like GoPro mm -hmm. view of oh, your see. commute through the city. Cause it's just so cool. One of the reasons why I want to get a GoPro yeah. is to like show it off and be like, oh, this is what it looks like driving right. or not oh, driving, riding underneath right. the yeah. bridge at I could, night. I, so I could like climb K2. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that would be I really see. cool. Yeah, I like that. You have to be careful when you don't let them control their locomotion. That's the thing, People too. You want to give them yeah, more options there. Yeah. Yeah. Will so they be on a bike? Well, yeah. So you should build a stationary bike. You could build a stationary bike. And then they just be on it's it. Been done. It's been that's, done. Maybe that's one. The thing. other thing that's been done recently, I went to an event and they had a, a giant arm, robot arm, and a cage that you would sit in. So you would sit in this little box and then you, the arm maybe like, oh, would like lift 30 you up feet in and, the air and it would yeah, rotate in the cage. That's not. That's not and so you're wearing the thing and it's just rotating. Wow. I wish I could remember. It's a startup <sighs> and they're pitching it to museums and uh, theme parks. Theme parks. Yeah. yeah. Because you would wait in line for that. Yeah, for, for crazy sure. Crazy robot arm. That for it. <laughs> I, would, I would wait in line for it like 10 years after it was launched. Because I don't want to be the guy who tumbled to his death oh. off of a <laughs> robot VR arm. Don't want to be on the cutting kind of bleeding edge of that. Was, yeah, that's not a glory. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a great way. No. Yeah, great, Joe, thanks for stopping yeah. by. 
Thank you so much. This Can was I, awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. This is great. Yeah, this really was really nice fun. To me, yeah. I think uh, you should be commended for this effort. We this are, is, yeah. I'm sure this podcast is an amazing resource for a lot of people. I really appreciate um, that. I hope that it is. Yeah, it is for me. Um, it definitely is for me. I appreciate yeah. that. It's fun doing them. Yeah. So, yeah. Guys, Shaleen, <laughs> you are a busy guy. I appreciate your time. No problem and, at all. Uh, your pleasure. voice has been pretty awesome in this conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. it's been really Joe, great. It's I hope really this is voice. a reconnection uh, between you and uh, the people here at Mouse who have so valued your perspective as a subject matter expert for us over the course of now a, a long time. Several years, yeah. Um, great people here. Great crew. Yeah. Such a good crew. Thank you for coming by. This was awesome. Thank you. Also, thank you yeah. to Stamps.com. <laughs> for, uh, I can't. Stamps. I'll never end this episode. <laughs> was it Foursquare? Was it Squarespace? Yeah, there are, there's your, so many. <laughs> your ad here, brought to you by Stamps.com. <laughs> Bring your own postage at home. Bye, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. For more info about how you can sponsor No Such Thing, hit me on Twitter at ma lesser. No Such Thing is produced in partnership with City University of New York's Master's Program in Youth Studies at SPS. Learn more at sps.cuny.edu. And Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us on the web at mouse.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, and young man who I beat in a slam dunk contest in 2004. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthing.wordpress.